Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is October 21st, 2021, and you're listening to episode 54. Today, we speak with Mark Renier, founder of Waterford Whiskey in Waterford, Ireland. Stay with us. For culinary culture, home to the cocktail collection, has a YouTube channel, Eats Drinks TV. Streaming now are cocktails, the grand tour, culinary quickies, music and booze with Mo, V is for Vino, Complete Greek, and this podcast, Spirits of Whiskey. Find us on YouTube at Eats Drinks TV and subscribe now. The Center for Culinary Culture, telling the story of food and drink one taste at a time. Today on Spirits of Whiskey, our guest is Mr. Mark Renier, founder and CEO. Well, Mark is founder and CEO of many things, but today we're speaking to him in his capacity as founder and CEO of Waterford Distillery in Waterford, Ireland. Welcome, Mark. Oh, yes, welcome. welcome. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. As we always start off, we talk about your whiskey journey, and mm-hmm. your whiskey journey seems to have started from a wine journey. You want to tell us a little bit about that and how yeah. you went from wine to whiskey? Yeah, it totally. What the, the, my my first half of my career informs the second half. My grandfather was a wine importer from South of France into England. My father took that business on over after the war. I worked for him for two three years before he sold it to a brewery. And that was my first experience of whiskey, which was blending the house whiskey for that brewery chain, Eldritch Pope. And I, I can remember very much the butts of Highland Park and the smell and the headiness and the aromas and everything. And that was around about 1982, 83. And then I set up my own wine business. Um, and this was exactly the time that single malt whiskey was starting to escape the shackles of the industry accidentally. People think it's been around for years and years. Yes, the distilleries have, but but the actual single malt whiskey that we see today, its origins are in that as a, 80s. As a category world. unto itself. Correct. Yeah, it was about 0.01% of whiskey at the time. So um, I was there when this sort of naissance of single malt occurred. And I was interested in, obviously, coming from a wine background, in, in purity. Of, and it struck me that if anybody was going to drink whiskey, having it in its most natural form was obviously a, a great starting point. So I suppose it's always been a journey against the grain, so to speak. <laughs> you know, applying that sort of wine philosophy to whiskey as, first of all, as an independent bottler. A, a friend from long back, Gordon Wright from Springbank uh, Distillery, he and I and another friend of mine, we, we started up a, an independent bottling company named after my grandparents, but with, with a difference, making more interesting bottlings rather than just the haphazard, you know, single cask, you know, good or bad or indifferent. And then, you know, I've got this opportunity. It didn't happen just like that, but it took a decade <laughs> of buying Brooklady Distillery. Decade a of legendary move, by the way. Uh, as, as it turns <laughs> out. 
And it was on the premise that how on earth could a whiskey that that was as as wine-like as Brooklady, as as refined and elegant, be left to disappear in, in an awful fate of, you know, being ignored and shut down? And so it was try and liberate it and try and you know, do something with it and, and have, I wanted to go. I wanted to let me have a go. And that's where that came from. So Brooklady, we bought a lot of stock from maturing stock. Some of it was good, some of it not so good. Some of it, you know, as every distillery, you know, in, in tired, cast, unloved. And so we set about, you know, trying to do something about it. And, and one of the things I was very keen to do was to adopt one or two of these wine influences that had occurred during the 80s and the 90s. Things like extended fermentation and growing barley on different places, different fields, and trying to keep things separately and, 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 and traceable. So at Brooklady, we didn't have either the resources or, to be honest, the will. It, it was seen to be something that's not what distilleries should be doing. So there's a lot of resistance. But we were able to do a, a, enough for me personally, to see that there's something in this. So when Remy Quantro bought Brooklady in uh, 2012, I resolved to actually do a definitive distillery, one that's a project, which I know it sounds arrogant, but I'm going to say it anyhow. It's probably unlike one that will ever come after it. it, it, it you know, I had the opportunity. I had all the things we didn't have at Waterford, at Brooklady. We had the resources and we had the knowledge of what to do and the ability to set up a distillery from scratch to distill a million litres of whiskey so we wouldn't run out from day one, divided into 35 farm, single farm units from day one to have the traceability to be able to demonstrate that they are kept apart from the field right through to the barrel. The physical logistics to be able to do that and the software, you know, to, to, to monitor it. And of course, the finance to uh, support it. So that that was what the Waterford project. Did the capital flow from the purchase by Remy Quentreau or was this a, a new round of investments? Some of my shareholders followed me from my mm-hmm. wine business to Brooklady and then Brooklady to Waterford and you know Waterford ultimately to, you know, to, to Grenada but one or two new people on the way as well but it was you know the, the, you know why Ireland that's the question I'm always asked why Ireland because at the time 2000 and, well, this was 2015 you know there were only three distilleries you know, three companies in Ireland you know it, it, was, right. it was a pretty empty uh, place William Grant had just arrived mm-hmm. uh, Tullamore Jew Perno Ricard and there. Irish distillers and um, Bushmills up in the north and, 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 and Teeling's obviously. The reason I went there is a very simple one. I followed the barley. It's as simple as that. You come across certain people that, that actually make a big influence on your life. And one of them was a very humble man, a Hebridean, an, an Elach uh, from Isla, called Duncan McGilvery. And he was our engineer that sort of got that wonderful old Victorian machinery all working together on a shoestring and sitting with him one day and he just said look the best barley he'd ever seen and he'd been there since 1967 i think it is he said the best barley you know he'd ever seen came from ireland and we were looking at it you can see ireland from Isla. you can see it from you know, almost from the distillery it's not very far away and when this unfinished business uh, is how i put it unfinished business when, when remy bought brooklady i up sticks and off um, we went to Ar- Ireland following the barley and we were um, serendipitously able to acquire a state-of-the-art Guinness brewery 
Diageo had built in 2004, a 40 million uh, euro Guinness brewery, only to shut it down a decade later. Yeah, why? Why did they do that? They were consolidating their breweries into a, a mega brewery in uh, Dublin, trying to get them all together. They had five breweries, you know, in one in England. And so, you know, made the decision, bang, you know, mothball it. And of course, as your viewers know, brewing is half of distilling. It's, you've got to brew before you can, can do the separation of the alcohol from the water, you know, which is distillation. And of course, being Diageo and being state-of-the-art, there were bits of kit in here. It's like Willy Wonka. You can't believe some stainless steel. You know, having been, uh, you know, immersed in this Victorian, to its credit, it was a state-of-the-art distillery when it was built in 1881. But, you know, to go from that beautiful Hebridean distillery to this sort of humming, purring Rolls-Royce, stainless steel, more stainless steel than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> you know, it, it was it's the ridiculous, it, uh, uh, unbelievable. But there were, you know, a triumvirate of bits of kit there, which, you know, I would like to say I, I knew all about it at the beginning, but I didn't. And it revolves around the mashing. And one of those, part of that triumvirate, is the hydro mill. And it's the only one in the world. It's never been repeated anywhere. And it, it's a titanium-plated mill that um, mills underwater anaerobically so it protects the the flavors of the barley stops them being oxidized the second part once you've got that grist is what's known as an incremental mash converter so instead of putting the the grist in the mash tun and then adding water on top which percolates through this we've already got the water there because it's from the hydro mill in fact, the whole tonne, the whole mash tonne, is, is heated up incrementally. Now, this was obviously done for efficacy and speed of, you know, of brewing. But, and this is the catch, which is so good for us, with 35 different farms every year, it's one a week you know, that, we, that we process through there. We can't possibly predict where all the enzymes are and at what temperatures they're going to be activated because they're, they're different farms, they're different origins. And so this method of incrementally warming up, heating up the mash tun, wherever those enzymes are activated, we catch it. It's a wonderful piece of, you know, reusing a, a very clever idea for a relatively mundane purpose. But for us, it's, it's, it's absolutely, you know, it's a life changer. It's, 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 it's fantastic. So, so, so we can optimize clearly, naturally, each um, mashing because of this process. And then the third part is the mash filter. Then nothing special about those. They've been around for quite some time in large breweries. But we call it a terroir extractor. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> because that's what it does for us. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, um, because you've got 54 mini wine presses in, in, in sequence that squish this, the, the draft. They, it squishes it down to the um, you know, incredible uh, um, pneumatic pressure. Remember, a mashed tongue, there's no pressure involved at all. It just percolates away. 
This is pneumatically compressed. It is bone dry at the end. And of course, so you're you squeezing every bit of environmental nuance out of each. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You know, it was. It's not what it was designed for, but it's what it does for us. <laughs> <laughs> So you went from this, you went for Ed Brooklady, you went from this sort of steampunk fever dream to this space oh, yeah. age operation. It is. I feel like we need to taste the first one now because now I really just want to know. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, uh, uh, you know, you can't love the water distillery in the same way as a Hebridean, romantic, beautiful uh, distillery. It couldn't be more different. You know, it, it, as I said, it purrs. You're in awe of it. That's the difference. You're in. We don't even call it a distillery. We call it the facilitator. I, I read that because yeah, even consider it, it's something else. It, it, it allows us to extract this terroir flavor into from those single farms. The principle behind doing single farms as our bread and butter, there are components. So each single farm origin grown around, all around Ireland, but mainly in the centre and the the south. The premise is that the soil and the microclimate and the topography all linked together influence how the barley grows. And the barley produces a fruit, that fruit is the grain. And so how it grows depends what happens to that grain. And like with the vine uh, and the grape, different microclimates, different terroirs, which is this fancy French word you know, for this three-dimensional interaction between the microclimate, the topography, the orientation, the altitude, all those things. You, when you, you see it in field crops, when you drive along and bald patches, you know, where it got flooded and bits where it got frozen. and All those things influence sandy soils, clay soils, sod, sodden soils, drought-ridden soils. They all have an impact. And so we want to find out what those are. So we distill everything the same way. Everything is treated exactly the same. And the only difference in those building blocks, the single farm origins, is the origin of the barley. Right now, we're tasting Dunmore, edition 1.1 of Dunmore. Talk to us about Dunmore. Yeah, oddly enough, and it's slightly accidental, but it's it, what happened is that the three you have there, they're all named from fortresses, forts. So Dun means a fort, and Rath also means a stone for and that each of these three is geographically on the same sort of latitude but with Dunbell on the uh, further west Dunmore in the middle and Rathclough a bit to the right of it and they're also slightly on a ridge on a hillside so Dunmore means the big farm the, sorry the big fort uh, Dunbell means the fort on the edge probably meaning edge of an escarpment. And then Rathcloth is a stone circular fort. So they're all built around the sort of 800s, 900s, probably into clan um, fighting. So just just a few years ago then. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, Yeah. And against the Vikings too, obviously. So that, that's just a bit of history behind it. So what you'll what, what you'll find with these Waterford whiskies is what I call the Waterford DNA, which is barley in your face. And this will be unusual to a lot of people. They will never have had 
so much barley, um, unadorned, straight up, no messing in your face. So that malted, as someone said to me, it was a bit like going into a baker's, uh, a baker's in the first thing in the morning and all the smell of all the different mm-hmm. breads that have been. Made. So that's what you're getting. A lot of barley. And there's no lipstick on this pig. You know, it's, it's <laughs> Oink. No, it's delicious. It's really extraordinarily, yeah. truly, truly. So then you get the florality of the spirit and the elegance of the spirit. Now that's more attributable uh, to the the shape of the, the stills that we have. It's not going to be a heavy spirit. It's always going to be you know, a, um, a lighter, f- f- more floral spirit. And then, of course, the structure. It's 50% ABV, 100 proof. That works very well for this uh, spirit. We expect you to add water to it. There's no macho-ness here. It, it's designed to have water added. And you, you'd get less enjoyment by leaving that out. Water in natural whiskey is is a really, it's a key that opens up a lot of the flavors. So if you don't open that key, you're not going to get all the flavors. Uh, so this is a, this is the organic. So, so first thing is, is just how you remove that glass stopper. We use that because we don't want a manky piece of cork and all the problems that have, have been around with cork. Yeah, I was going to mention the top on this is gorgeous. And I, I do want to get to more of the bottle. If you actually remove that, so that the plastic liner as inside, it makes a nice loose fitting mm-hmm. stopper. So, so uh, like a decanter stopper. Oh, so wow. here we are, uh, glass whiskey, glass whiskey, glass whiskey. In we go with some whiskey and a little bit of water. Now, I like quite a lot of water. Do you see how that all yeah. whirls around, all those flavors? Remember, we've not chill filtered this. There is nothing done to this at all. This is the purest whiskey you are ever going to try. There's no additives, there's flavorings, there's no... It is literally barley, yeast, and water. It, it, it is about purity because this whole project is, is a quest it's a quest for natural flavor. That's what turns me on. It's the whole project is a quest for natural flavor. And we'll get on to some of those other, where we're getting those from as well, different uh, methods of, of growing sure. uh, barley. But so I, I've added a lot of water there because it, it starts out at 50. I've probably reduced it down there now, I don't know, 30 or so. Yeah. It depends how you feel. It depends on the time of the day. The later in the day, perhaps the stronger, um, uh, earlier in the day, you're much more dilute. But do not be scared to add water. No, it's great. I added water and it's a lot smoother, I think. What you're doing is you're not only diluting the alcohol, you are not diluting right. the flavors. On the contrary, you're opening them up because some of those flavors react not only with air, like wine does, but with water. Now, it doesn't work for all whiskey. I, I, you've got to be careful here because commercial whiskeys. Right. It tends to break everything. They weren't designed for that. But natural whiskey, unchill filtered whiskey, uncolored whiskey, it works a dream. So, so just consider it as a sort of, you know, a key to opening flavor. And, so, and you know, how hard you turn the key is dependent on. Yes, don't, be, you know. don't be a ratio fetishist. Yeah. Just last night, I was in a tasting with a friend of mine, and she's new to the whiskey tasting world. She's been listening to our podcast now. So she's, okay, I'm going to go with you to these tastings. So we did a tasting last night, and a lot of the things were over 100. And she's, this is just too harsh. It's too harsh. I said, oh, honey, we need to get you some water. She goes, oh, what? And I said, yeah. So then we went and got some water. She goes, oh, I think this one's my favorite one now. I have a question I'd like to ask before we go to whiskey number three. And that 
Oh, I, I, I went on to number two for the water. I mean, about the barley flavors. This oh, is the, unusual. The difference between these two is dramatic. Same. That's, that's crazy. The same exact recipe. How many skews are there? I wouldn't put it as skews uh, per se. How yeah, many man. expressions? Uh, well, <laughs> do you want the possibilities or do you want how, how, the current well, global? What's currently you know, with Waterford on the label? The very simple thing there is there are 35 single farms mm-hmm. a year distilled. So technically, we have 35 Waterford single farm origins available each year. Now, I'm going to add further complication here because we haven't used oh, the wow. same 35 farms each year. In subsequent harvests, some of the guys couldn't right. provide us with the right quality sure. barley. Uh, we need a very precise agronomic regime, and we need low nitrates, less than ten percent. And sometimes some of the, some of our, our initial farmers just couldn't do it. Other farmers, it has to be said, couldn't be asked. It, it was too much hassle, too much trouble. And then equally, we found new farmers with terroirs that were really interesting. So it's think of it like a, a league. Some, some people have been promoted, some people have been relegated, some people have just walked off. So in total, since this harvest was 2.15, we have just under 100 Are they all from Ireland? different single farms. Okay. Current- wow. Yeah, of course. Question, are you doing, I was going to save this for later, but but are you doing any age statements? Are there, do you have one that's one that's five years, one that's eight? I know you haven't been laying it up for that long, but still. We have deliberately not put an age statement on the label because in my experience, people are often led by color of the whiskey. If it's dark, it must be old. It must be fantastic. Well, in fact, it could just be a bucket Mm -hmm. of caramel. And of course, if you distill really sensibly, if you distill slowly at the middle cut, which we do less than 400 liters an hour by the time we do the middle cut, if you choose a very narrow middle cut, which we do, it's a floating 10% ABV Mm -hmm. cut, floating, I'd say, because each single farm, you know, that cut comes differently. Um, as a function of, you know, nature. And then you, you have the, the wood, which, of course, is very important. Um, I learned my severe cost at, at, at Brooklady that there is no shortcut to having decent wood. One, one question. I noticed that terroir is rendered here in presumably Irish? No. It's, it's just a little joyful play on words. Ah, okay. Okay, yes, because it is not spelled in the French manner. It is not spelled à la manière française. Era is is the Gallic uh, uh, um, uh, way of saying Ireland, and terroir Mm -hmm. is terroir. We put the two together. So it's a portmanteau of the two. Understood. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the bottle. The bottles are gorgeous. I love this blue color, and I absolutely love the tops that they're, they're glass. And each label is a distinct hue. 
yeah, that's just to make it a little bit clearer that you know, between the single farms, you know, if you see them lined up, you can differentiate them more easily. But remember, Philip, the, this isn't the end. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the end. Thank you, Winston Churchill. We're talking about our building blocks here, and we're sharing them with you, or we're sharing three of them with you. And different single farms we've given to different markets around the world. So the French have uh, Lacken, Grattensbrook in the UK, and then there's other one or two other single farms that are generally available everywhere. And so each um, distributor can follow their own farm. And so after this first bottling, they may say, okay, let's do another bottling, but let's do it slightly differently. And so we can. And then, of course, what we haven't discussed is we're talking about one harvest here. We're talking about the harvest of 215. We haven't talked about 216, 217, 218. The permutations are going across the vintages as well as along. So there's there's other opportunities Um, in the future. Speaking of the UK, has Brexit proven a headache for you? I'm a Brexiteer. I, I, I voted for uh, to leave the European Union because of, I just I don't like the direction it's going in, and I don't see why we should be part of it. And so I've made no bones about that. It, it remains to be seen whether we've got the politicians of a caliber enough to take advantage of the opportunities that creates from escaping a sort of semi-socialist uh, um, group. But then on the other hand, remember, we're distilling in Ireland. so Indeed, which is why I asked. Yes. <laughs> so the problem is getting our whiskey into the UK. And that you know, for, for you know, cross-border mail-order provisioning is at the moment a headache, but we've got a solution. I have a question about, now you're, again, you're known for many things. You've been founder and CEO of any number of things, including Brookladi, mm-hmm. where you created the Botanist Gin, which is a favorite of cocktails. So I know we'd like to talk about that, but also rum. You've been in the rum game for a very long time. Well, say, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 well, well, the gin, the gin came around, uh, you know, uh, um, the botanist. Well, because we found a botanist to go around uh, um, the island to try and find out what was aromatic and what wasn't. And it came up with about 29 different aromatics. Because what happened was my colleague, Jim, was very reluctant to to do gin. He thought we'd be laughed at. It was not what whiskey distilleries should be doing and everything. But but I really wanted some, you know, just for myself. So I found an old recipe in a a book from 16-something or other. And it talks about ushkavar, you know, making of you know, artisanal whiskey. But it talks about the additives that they were using, which was basically anything on the hillside that was available. And it was you know, to disguise poor distilling. And I remember running around and showing it to you, you know, this is more like a gin. Because you know, they weren't maturing the stuff. They were drinking it off the still. So it was white, flavored with juniper and all that. That, in my book, is a gin. Uh, um, and then, so we started um, distilling using an old still that we liberated from Inverleven called Ugly Betty. And we put all the base botanicals in there. And then, but the more delicate ones, the leaves and the petals, the more delicate ones, we put in a sort of like a tea bag in the neck of the still. Mm-hmm. The vapor, the juniperized vapor right. uh, goes right. through. Those uh, a car basket by another. It name. doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you get. You know. It's not just. You know. Say. Oh well. We've got twenty five of these, and but you can't taste them. The whole idea. <laughs> is, 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 
is to taste them. But the big main base ones are going to dominate if you don't do something about it. So that's what we, that's what we did. And it, it was great fun. I can remember saying to the chairman, so we'll network, don't worry, we won't get carried away. We'll just leave it at 10,000 cases. No more. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, and, then, and then, of course, Remy took it on and couldn't leave their luck. In fact, Remy mm. kept it. I could have kept it if I'd played my cards, but I was affronted. I was so affronted that they weren't interested that I went out of my way to sell it to them, which was rather stupid. Okay. All right. So let's talk about rum. You've been involved in rum yeah. for a very long well, time. From in, independent bottling. When mm. I got bored, Murray McDavid, when I got bored of independently bottling whiskey, because I felt that we were scratching the bottom of the barrel, the, the stocks that had been so much fun to play with in, in those early days, 85, 86, 87, 88. Those were stocks that came from the age of innocence before all this you know, industrialization. And, but they'd all gone. And in the 70s, not a great deal was distilled because of that crisis. So I just, you know, we got bored. We got bored of, you know, what was out there. And we were having to do more and more remedial work to try and get some life into them. But we shut the company down. Just thought, well, there's no point doing this anymore. And then at the same time, we thought, what about rum? You know, rum is like the whiskey industry, but it's probably 30 years behind the curve. There, you've got barrels appearing from distilleries that no longer exist, brands that have dis disappeared. And that was quite exciting to basically replace, you know, one with, with, with the other, these old venerable rum. But to be honest, that was an even worse decision because those stocks were even... Even poorer, you know, even less, you know, at debt in them. So that's when the idea came for trying to find a distillery. And I spent a, a good decade looking in the, the Caribbean and in the Pacific, but couldn't find anything remotely desirable. Uh, mm -hmm. One or two, you know, guys doing some good things, but but obviously, they, you know, they, they're doing their own. Thing. So so, the, so there were no opportunities. I realized I'd have to build one. So, so I suppose that the story here is that Brooklady was renovating and, and bringing back to life a Victorian distillery. Waterford was converting a state-of-the-art Guinness brewery into a state-of-the-art distillery, the likes of which you'll never see. And the Grenada, it, it was a chance to build something from scratch, which is going to be for the future, environmentally future-proof. To deliberately to handle sugarcane, not molasses as you know 90% of rum is molasses there is mm -hmm. everybody gets the same access Any, anybody can distill it anywhere and they do they're even distilling some on Isla so you know it, it, that's the problem there's no barrier to entry so everybody can do it and it's you know it then just becomes a question of marketing because they're all tasting the same equipment same origin so unless you start flavoring it with all sorts of weird things it's all going to end up being the same very clearly to me it's all about sugarcane because then you've got terroir terroir inferences varietal influences the french martinique guadeloupe have been doing it for a while sadly most of it only ever goes back to france so so you know it's, it's not nearly doesn't nearly have the renown that it, it really ought to have had. So that, that's what we set up to do, was cultivate again on an island that had stopped 
pretty much any form of agriculture since the revolution. Would you guys, the 7th Cavalry, turned up? We didn't really finish talking about the bottle. So how did you decide on this beautiful blue, kind of a cobalt blue, and the ridges and the top? How did you come to the decision? No, wait. You see under there. Nice. Terroir, traceable, transparent. We don't just say it. We do. The cobalt blue is, again, we were talking about age statements but earlier. It's, I don't want people to think this is normal whiskey. I don't want it to be leprechaun and Irish and what, you know, this is a single malt whiskey that happens to be made in Ireland. And it happens to be made in Ireland because they grow the best barley. So I wanted something that, that, that sort of didn't really go parochial, something that, that you know, that, that would, people would go, ah, oh, that's right. not usual. That's something else. And pay attention, prick up the ears and go, ah, now let me read more. Let me find out. It happens to be the colours of Waterford oh. City, Waterford Town, but that was coincidental. It also protects the naturalness of the whiskey if it's sitting in a oh, shop nice. from ultraviolet light, because remember, we don't chill filter, we don't do anything. So, so it, it, it protects it from that. So, yeah, right. Why not? And it works. We color code the capsule, the locks, the vanilla locks, blue ones there. But the single farms have yellow ones. So this. Yes. This, yeah. this is what we should be talking about next because we're talking about the single farms. I'm very proud of the single farms. We've shown them to people so that you can see what we're talking about. That terroir influences the barley and the flavors that we are able to obtain in the spirit. Yeah. And you've nosed them, you've yep. tasted them, you can see it's Waterford through and through, but they've got differences. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Right. Yeah, it's not mine. It's what the ground gives us. It's got nothing to do with me. But remember, these are building blocks because the ultimate aim is this, the cuvee of Waterford. This is our definitive bottling, which you'll be getting in three or four weeks' time. This is the woo-woo amazing coming together wow. of 25 of those single farms. Now, you know, some people, oh, well, that's a blend. No, it isn't. A blend is actually a technical type of whiskey, you know, made columns still, you know, put together with single malts. These are our own single malts. These are Waterford single malts. Right. Here it is, a standalone Waterford single malt. And we've taken 25 of them, each with its own terroir-defined flavors, and stacked them one on top of the uh -huh. other to create the biggest mindfuck possible flavor. That is the purpose. Now, I would love to tell you again that it's all my own thinking and it's never been done before. Well, it hasn't been done before in whiskey, but it has been done in wine. It's a What we don't do is harvest all the grapes, stick it in a big pot and bottle it. That's what they don't do. And, and, and this is the idea here, that we are building in intrinsic terroir-defined flavors. And then, like a millefeuille, like a gâteau, we are layering them one on top of the other so that they give you this extraordinary complexity. It'll be the, the, the Napoleon is my favorite pastry. So this will be the Napoleon of single malt whiskeys. But if you take those, those single farms that you've got there and put them together, it will give you an idea of what I'm talking about. 
It's where the whole is greater even than merely the sum of the individual parts. That's the principle. The, the individual players all stand up on their own right, but the length of flavor is just never-ending. Um, and this is what I'm after. It's the, the quest for natural flavor. I don't want the artificialness of you know, colorings and caramels, flavor essences, other bits and pieces. I just want the bar. You know, we're so lucky that single malt whiskey yeah. is, has, has to be made with barley. Barley is the most flavor complex grain of all. It produces the most flavor complex spirits in the world. End of story. There are over, we did a survey on this. We did, we did some research with Oregon State University. Dr. Dustin Hurd, who was really intrigued by what we were trying to do, and he came and helped me set up with the Irish government, the Irish Ministry of Agriculture, and Scotland's leading whiskey spirit analyst laboratory. And we did a three-year study using a laboratory mash, malted, and distilled spirit, but grown on two of our uh, terroirs. And... One of the things they discovered is that there are over, you wait for this, wow. 2,000 flavor compounds. 2,000, yeah. Of those 2,000, the, the, the ones that are most present and the ones that we can act, are, are present in sufficient quantities for us to be able to actually look at with modern, uh, you know, uh, tech, is about 60, 65. And of those, 60% are influenced oh. by where it's grown, the tower. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, not me saying it. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's a proof. No, indeed. The data to back you up. Speaking indeed. of data, one last question before we go into cocktails. How okay. long have your expressions been on the market and how have sales been and have you seen them grow through the COVID pandemic? <laughs> As always, we launched uh, our first bottlings. <laughs> Um, so yes, it's at grown. The beginning of COVID. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. Um, so, 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 we, we just when we wanted to go places and tell people and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we were we'd organised our own party right. at the yeah. distillery, and of course, no one could come. It was so depressing. So we launched those. So when's that? That's uh, 14 months ago we put our first first bottlings and it's getting it out there into the market all the off sale all the restaurants and bars were shut so it was only you know off sales and then and then of course right. certain countries shut down alcohol sales <laughs> altogether it's been a mess it's been a complete mess so all your 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 listeners here have got to sympathize yeah. not with us but, but but with the poor retailers and the you know yeah sure agree. But it's funny, some, as you said, some countries shut down alcohol sales. The U.S., which has been where we're moralists from the get-go, it actually became easier to buy alcohol yeah. in much of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the thing is, what's missing is your right. ability to explain to people what you're up to and what you're doing and share it with them, mm -hmm. which, is, which is always this format, podcasts. And, you know, I, I've started listening to podcasts yeah. all the time. You know, that came out of COVID. So I suppose there are some some good points. Sure, we, yes. spirits of whiskey sure. came out of COVID. Birthed spirits of whiskey, absolutely. So, yeah. so what you've got is the single farms as a compare and contrast scenario. You, you, you know, you, you know, if two of you, you know, one buys one, one buys the other, 
and then you just compare and contrast. That's where the fun is. Because, you know, the whole point of this and with Grenada is as a retailer in my earlier life, no one ever asked you, you know, can I have the same thing I had last time? What they always said is, what's new? You know, what, what's like that one you get? I really like, well, you know, it's curiosity. We think it's absolutely fascinating. We've got 8,000 data points per single farm. And we're just trying to work out how we can make this available in a usable way that's of, of, of you know, pertinence um, to the consumer or to the academic. So, the, you know, we, we just think we like drinking whiskey and we don't want to drink the same one all the time. We want to <laughs> and, and extol the virtues of the other. It's it's for people that want who are curious and want to know more. Well, speaking of people who are curious, confirmed cocktailians are always looking for new expressions of base spirits. Mm. To they have their go tos, but they're always looking to improve thereupon, or at least differentiate one experience of a Manhattan or an old fashioned or a Boulevardier from another. So we always ask our guests about cocktails and what their favorites are, not their single favorite, but their maybe their, their favorite category, how they like to see their whiskeys cocktailed, or if they walk into a bar and theirs is not available, what might they order? First of all, the, the point of Waterford and this is, is it stands alone to go with anything. The whole point is to see it in its um, natural state. I wouldn't anticipate people using <laughs> it for, for cocktails. Do what you want with it, by, by all means, but it's that, that's not the principle. Obviously, rum, Grenada, Renegade, rum, that's obviously precisely. We've just bottled up the first distillates pre-cask. They're intended to go in cask, but we held some back to show people, like with water, the terroir differences that you can get. To sh- you know, Basically, this is what we're working on. Look what's happening. Uh, and on a volcanic island with the juxtaposition of soils, it's a very you know, interesting exercise. Now, uh, you know, we've asked one or two cocktail guys what they want to do with it. I tried one the other day in Soho, the very, very first one we ever had. In the Groucho Club, the Groucho Club in, in in Soho, it's where what's that song? I was just about to say, Lola. Yeah, yeah Lola. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have more words than that. I just we spent the last pushing eighty minutes hearing all this colorful background, all of the building blocks of, of and, and tasting some of them of your Grand Cuvée, and uh, there's more. Th- I'm sorry, what's oh. that? Uh, we have we also have what's <laughs> called the. We call it alt barley, alternative barley. Is that like fake uh, news? Which is, alt barley. <laughs> which is um, the, Arcadian, <laughs> the Arcadian series. So, so you've got the single farm origins, you've got the cuvee, which is the agglomeration of those single farms, and then we have the uh, Arcadian series. And that is different okay. methods of growing barley. So organic, biodynamic, which is just coming out now. What yeah. What do you see going on Go ahead, for Waterford in the next year? And how many expressions do you think will be sent over to the States for us to start sampling? Several questions. So obviously um, what we're very excited about is this heritage barley, uh, because what we're trying to find out is how that barley evolved in the vicinity that it grew. So, you know, it evolved its flavor profiles over the centuries, influenced by the terroir in which it grew. So if we can 
distill these and having taken them from five grams out of a seed bank and bulked them up, it takes bloody ages to do it. If we can analyze those flavors and see which ones we really like and which ones work with which terroirs, then perhaps we could then develop a, a sort of greatest hits of flavor. Because remember, you know, the barleys that we all have to use are chosen by others for commercial aspects, for yield, for, for disease resistance, for climate adaptability, but sadly, not for flavor. I, I think your press states that you are rewriting the whiskey handbook at Waterford. I think you've given us a tremendous amount to chew on and to think about. And indeed, I'm going to I'm going to say that's not just PR speak. That's the truth. Uh, in fact, I think it, it perhaps it's perhaps an understatement. Big question. Will you come back and wax uh, wax whiskey with us? At a, at, a, at a not too later date. Your listeners will put up with it around. <laughs> They're not too punch drunk as a result of this. I think they'll survive and thrive. The knowledge is rich, yeah. and you're you are very generous in sharing. No, we well, thank you having for, you. for having great. me. And your whiskeys are fantastic, too, and I love just, that just, they, they need no. to add water because <laughs> no. sometimes no. I get so into just drinking the whiskeys that I forget to add water, and the flavors sure. really did open up in your whiskeys, and I, I really enjoyed them. I have a suggestion that the next time the three of us, we, we can get together online anytime, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look forward to the three of us in a room yeah. with a bunch of your whiskeys oh. and we're nice. just going to, we're going to set up a camera so you, and we're, we're going to let it run. Well, that, I mean, that would be such fun, but, but don't you know, you know, that's exactly what we said about this, this sort of little screen thing. You know, you, know, you can't, you just don't get that. Yeah exchange that feeling that understanding of a face-to-face with a dram this wasn't designed for dramming was it you know no but it's what we have (laughs) this has been a a, a delight absolutely For show notes on today's podcast, please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's stories in this episode's blog post. As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Slanchava! Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard.